Go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 39 this morning. We are picking up where we left off last Sunday, and we are moving back into the life of Joseph this morning. We're looking at Genesis chapter 39, beginning in verse 1, and we're going to read down to verse 23 to the end of the chapter, and you'll find that on page uh, 33. If you were using a copy of the Church Bible, I know you're going to find it helpful to have your own copy of Scripture open to be reading along with me this well-known account of Joseph and Potiphar's wife. And we're looking this morning at Genesis 39, 1 through 23. Let me briefly pray again and um, ask the Lord to especially add his blessing to the preaching of the word this morning. Father, we are so thankful at how you have been at work in our lives through your word. And we're thankful for new revelations of Christ in the scriptures. And we are thankful for new measures of grace and new restoration and new warnings and new periods of revival and restoration and also we are thankful for the way that you simply carry us through our day-to-day ordinary lives by your word and so our God we pray that above all things this morning you would add your richest blessing to both the reading and the preaching of the word we pray that you give us understanding we pray that you would give us interest and desire we pray that you would send your spirit to illuminate our minds and hearts we pray our god that you would accomplish your purposes in us and that above all the things that we would ask we ask that we would see jesus christ that we would see your glory lord jesus that we would see the glory of god shining in your face and that we would be drawn to you and We'd be built up in you and rooted in you and established in you and established in your grace. And so, Father, we pray that you would do this for us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis 39, beginning in verse 1. We're back, as I noted, to the story of Joseph. And now Moses writes, Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the garden Egyptian, had had bought him from the Ishmaelites, Who had brought him down there? The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in field, in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and after a time his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. He has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her nor lie beside her to be with her. But one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house were there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, see, 
He has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came into me to lie with me. I cried with a loud voice, and as soon as he heard that, I lifted up my voice and cried out. He left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came into me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him in the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God endures forever. Well, Genesis is its such an interesting book. In the first half of this book, we, we see these visions, and God is revealing himself in dreams, and he's revealing himself by way of his covenant promises. He is telling Abraham in dreams and visions, and through prophetic words, and through interactions with Melchizedek, and, and through interactions with himself as he comes in these sort of supernatural, we call them theophanies, these presences where God comes in human form and he's revealing himself. And, and as, the, as the, the, God's covenantal dealings with his people develop in Genesis, there are more of these visions and more of these revelations. And God is speaking supernaturally at every point, And the covenant Lord is revealing his purposes in very clear and powerful ways. And then, then we come to the history of Joseph and And after that first period of revelation in chapter 37, the dreams and the dream coat and God telling Joseph in those dreams that his brothers and his father and mother would bow down to him. And after that, there are no more dreams. There are no more revelations. There are no more visions. There is just the story of Joseph from chapter 37 through 50. And as we've noted in other portions of Genesis, you'll note that there are long narratives where God is not mentioned at all. And yet God is always at work, weaving his plan and working out his covenant purposes. And then we come to this chapter. And this chapter is so interesting and so unique because this chapter brings the Lord's name and the Lord's work and the Lord's presence and purposes to the forefront, seven times, the covenant name Yahweh is mentioned in this chapter. Seven times we are told what Yahweh, the covenant Lord, that the redeeming God is doing in Joseph's life, and that he's doing something very special in Joseph's life. Now, for us to understand this chapter, because we might be tempted to say that this chapter is about temptation, and it is about temptation. And we might conclude, if, if you remember this story when you were a child, as I would, that what stands out prominently in this chapter is Potiphar's wife and her trying to allure Joseph, and Joseph withstanding the temptation. And yes, that is central in this section. But what is the overarching importance of this section is that the covenant Lord is confirming his covenant 
promises to Joseph in the midst of both prosperity, temptation, and affliction. At every point in Joseph's life, God is present and the covenant Lord is at work. Now that's important because we often ask the question when I don't sense the Lord working in my life, when I feel far from him, perhaps there's sin in my life, perhaps there's a time where there's not sin in my life and he just seems silent and he seems foreign and, and, and he seems as if he's not there at work. We come to this chapter and God is essentially saying for those who are, are walking with the Lord by faith, for those who have committed themselves to him and are seeking to live a life in accord with the redemption that they have experienced, God is always with his people. He is with us in affliction. He is with us in temptation. He is with us in prosperity. Now we're going to look at those three things in the reverse order there. We're going to look first at the Lord being with Joseph in a period of prosperity. And then secondly, we're going to consider the Lord being with Joseph in the temptation. And finally, we're going to consider the Lord being with Joseph in his affliction. Now, we had not heard of Joseph for a chapter. His brothers had sold him off to their uh, Ishmaelite kin, and they had sold him off as a slave. They had gotten rid of the brother that they envied so much and that they despised. They had taken his dream coat, his coat of many colors. They had, they had killed an animal. They had acted as if he had been slaughtered. They had taken that bloody robe to Joseph's father, and they had convinced their father that Joseph was dead, and Joseph was carried off. And, and at that point, at that point in the narrative, you're left wondering what happened to Joseph. And then we have the account of Judah. And we saw last week that that was an interlude and, and all of the nastiness in the covenant family and in the tribe from which Jesus comes and how God's grace comes in and it restores and it, and it works in the worst and the most messed up of situations where God has purposed to manifest his grace. And now we have this account and we're back to Joseph and and. Yet, before we look in detail at, at this chapter, I want to say, and I want you to tuck this away, that when we come to the point of temptation, there will be a connection between chapter 38 and 39. But for now, Moses tells us that Joseph was brought down into Egypt and Potiphar, who was essentially the commander-in-chief. Now, we tend to think of Potiphar, uh, just based on the language here, as if he was sort of a, a, a prison warden or some sort of uh, leader over quite a number of people. It might be better to think of Potiphar as one of the most powerful men, perhaps the Secretary of Defense or one of the highest commanding generals, a four-star general. He is one of the most powerful men in all of Egypt, which is the most powerful nation in the world. So, the most powerful man under Pharaoh himself, perhaps under one person below Pharaoh, in the most powerful nation in the world, and God in his providence has put Joseph in that house. Now, he puts him there as a servant. He puts him there as a slave. And yet, you see God's hand at work. Joseph's brothers had treated him so maliciously, and yet the Lord was working his purposes out. And the Lord was strategically putting Joseph right where he wanted Joseph to be. It's interesting. Joseph never sought greatness for himself. He had dreams. He told his brothers, perhaps unwisely. They sold him into slavery. He probably learned his lesson. He probably thought often, man, I wish I hadn't told my brothers those dreams I had. 
And now, God in his sovereign grace has put Joseph right into the house of one of the most powerful men in the most powerful nations in the world. And notice he is brought, he is bought by Potiphar. And notice the second thing that Moses tells us there in verse 2, the very second thing as we come into this narrative, the Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man. Now, I want to say this this morning. You know me well enough, unless you're visiting here and have never been here, to know that I, I abhor, despise, hate, give me some more synonyms, we'll put them in there, the health, wealth, prosperity gospel. There's nothing biblical about it. It is from Satan. It is nowhere in the Bible, and I hope you don't listen to health, wealth, prosperity preachers. And yet, there is something in the Bible that we have to reckon with, and that is that while suffering is a norm for believers, and while we should prepare ourselves to suffer, and while it is a given that if you belong to Jesus Christ, you are going to suffer, there are also periods where if you belong to Jesus Christ, God is going to bless you. And there are going to be times of blessing. You know, I often think one of the great verses on this is found in 3 John. It's a book you probably don't read often. And John tells the congregation to which he's writing, I pray for you that you may be in health. I pray for you that your soul may prosper and that you may be in health even as your soul prospers. That what he wanted for them was that God would bless the whole of the individual and that there would be tangible blessings. And oftentimes when we are walking with the Lord, God takes our gifts, he takes us, he takes our endeavors, he takes our desires to please him, he takes us in difficult circumstances where we don't want to be, and he blesses, you know. I don't always talk about my dad and his work, but my dad ended up being uh, the division chief of Federal Law Enforcement Training Center down in Brunswick, Georgia. He was essentially what would be a general in, in the federal government and um, probably didn't enjoy doing what he did very much. Um, I, I recognized growing up in our home that my dad didn't want to be where he was so often, but that's where the Lord had placed him. And he sought to be faithful there. In the late 90s, he single-handedly uh, went through all the administrative labors to start a chaplaincy program at Glencoe, at Federal Law Enforcement Training Center. And, and they said to him at that time, if we do this to get Bibles into the dorms, you know that the Mormons and everybody else can. And my dad said, I don't care. We need Bibles. We need a chaplaincy. We need the gospel here. And God used him in unique ways. And I believe that Fletzi prospered because he was seeking to serve the Lord even where he didn't want to be. Joseph didn't want to be where he was. Yet he was trusting the Lord. And that refrain, that line in verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph. It's, it's repeated everywhere. It never showed up in Jacob's life, his father. The Lord was with his father. And that's, that's a question we have to grapple with. Why here? Why in chapter 39 does the phrase the Lord was with Joseph appear when we don't find it with his father? And I, I think that what we have to read, and you have to listen carefully, I think what we're being taught is not just that the Lord was with Joseph, but that Joseph knew that the Lord was with him in the pit, in shackles, in the Ishmaelites caravan, in being sold to Potiphar, and now belonging to Potiphar as a slave, Joseph knew that the Lord was with him. He'll, he'll give an intimation of this. 
at the end of Genesis, his brothers will come, they finally repent, they're finally horrified at what they did, and he'll actually say to them, you know what, you didn't do it, God put me here. Joseph was conscious. Now, think about this. Joseph didn't have a Bible, to the best of our knowledge. If he did, it would have only had 37 chapters in it. That's all that's happened in covenant history and redemptive history. Doesn't have a Bible. He has no Christian friends there prodding him on, strengthening his hand in the Lord. And yet he knows that the Lord is with him. He's believing the covenant promises. And God is blessing him. And God is making that blessing to overflow off of him to those around him. I think that's important. I think that one thing that God often does, and he'll do it in your life if you're trusting the Lord, if you're seeking to bring him glory and to live your life as unto him, he will cause his blessings at different times to abound from you onto family members, friends, neighbors, not maybe in a saving way. It certainly wasn't with Potiphar, but in a common grace way in which God is showing my blessing rest on my people. It is a witness. It is as much a witness as when we suffer and give him glory and know that he's with us. When we recognize that when he is blessing, God is adding that blessing so that his name may be known. And so his name comes to the forefront there in verse 2. And then notice verse 3. Notice what's said about Potiphar, that it was so evident. This is such a witness that the Lord is causing his work to to prosper. Then in verse 3, Moses says, his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. Potiphar knew there was something different about Joseph. Perhaps it was Joseph's attitude. Perhaps he didn't complain. Perhaps he gave himself over and above what other servants would have done. Perhaps it was a spirit of wisdom that he had that was so much greater because God was at work in Joseph. We don't know. But it was so evident, God's blessing, that this pagan war leader recognized that the living and true God was causing whatever Joseph was doing to prosper, and it wasn't happening with others. I think that is a profound point, that God sometimes is with his people in order to make us prosper, in order to show that he is the true and living God, and to make his name known in the earth. And notice, we see in verse 4 that the effect of the Lord being with Joseph in this period of prosperity is that Joseph found favor in the sight of his hand and that Potiphar put everything under Joseph's care. Now, I don't know about you, but anybody that owns a business wants this guy working for them. Like, I would like this guy on staff with us. You can put everything, everything in Joseph's hands and you know he's going to deal wisely, uprightly. He's going to do what's right. Like, this guy is rare. This guy is super rare. And that becomes a witness, and Potiphar, in turn, gives him power. And so God is even blessing Joseph with power. Joseph didn't didn't try to grasp for that power. He didn't aim for the power. He didn't try to make power a a thing in itself. He, He wasn't tempted by the allure of power, but God gave him authority and power and and position in Potiphar's house. And I think that's interesting. Because I noted already that Joseph never sought greatness for himself. King David never sought greatness for himself. Interesting point. David is made the most powerful king over all of Israel. Not one day of his life did he see greatness. He was out with some smelly sheep 
tearing bears apart, protecting some little lambs. And God said, I'm going to make you the king. And that is the ordinary course. When the Lord is with his people, he comes to those that are nothing, to those in low positions, to those whose hearts are trusting in him. And he says, I'm with you and I will bless you and I will make my name great through you and I will establish my purposes in you. And so notice Joseph finds favor in the sight of Pharaoh and those that attended him and he becomes overseer over all that house. And notice, notice this language again in verse five, it's this repetition. Moses is drawing your attention back again. The Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. That is marvelous, isn't it? That means that if you are trusting in Jesus Christ and you are seeking to walk uprightly, and we're going to see the affliction that comes in a minute, doesn't mean everything's just going to get better and better and better, but it will mean that God will bless in the spheres in which he is placing you so that you might be a blessing to others and others might be blessed in you. Now, that's, that's really a gospel picture, isn't it? Uh, Peter tells us in 1 Peter that you have been blessed in order to be a blessing, that we have received the grace of God, that he has poured his blessing out on us who are so undeserving and so sinful so that we might be a blessing to others, so that his blessing might abound and it might continue on and there would be a residual effect and a reciprocal effect in the blessing of God in the lives of his people. I think that's marvelous. God's purpose in making you prosper is so that that blessing might accrue to others' benefit and that they may praise him for that. Now, very interesting, Joseph has, he has power over everything in Potiphar's house, except Potiphar, you know, he, he doesn't trust anybody with his food. So, so there's that one little thing. There's a measure of distrust about everybody. There might be a lesson there for us. And so everything's under Joseph's uh, power. Everything's under his authority and oversight. And, and there's one more place where God's blessing is on Joseph. And that's that Moses tells us Joseph was good looking. Now, that's part of the blessing. It is part of God's favoring Joseph. The, the Hebrew intimates that both in physique and in form, both in, in his, his look and in his build, Joseph was a good-looking dude. But what's interesting is that that is put last in the list. I find that fascinating. It's not the first thing that you read about Joseph. It's the first thing we would make the first thing because we judge according to appearance. Um, it's always interesting to me that in Isaiah 53, one of the, the way the, the greatest Old Testament prophecy about Jesus and his glory and his sufferings and work of redemption starts with is he has no form or appearance, no beauty that we should desire him. That Jesus isn't your, your good-looking celebrity you talk about all the time in your home or with your friends. Um, and so Joseph's, uh, Joseph's handsomeness, as it's put there in verse 6, the second part of verse 6, he's handsome in form and appearance, is put last in that list. Nevertheless, we still see that God's blessing is large over, over Joseph. Now, secondly, we're going to see that the Lord is with Joseph in a period of temptation. What's interesting is that that last description is what leads into the temptation. John Calvin has this fascinating statement where he says, don't be so envious 
I find a lot of comfort in this. Don't, fe don't be so envious in good-looking people because it often becomes a snare to them. That's Calvin's remarks on this. Calvin was probably not a good-looking dude. I can resonate with John Calvin. And I can take comfort in the fact, don't, don't, if you're good-looking, don't trust in your looks because you see the snares that come with it. And here Joseph obviously is um, found in a predicament because he is a good-looking man. And notice in verse 7, after a time, Potiphar's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. Now, it, that lie with me is two words in the Hebrew. It is stronger than that. I'll spare you the intent. You know the intent. She continues to say this to Joseph. And Joseph finds himself in one of the most difficult temptations of any of the Old Testament saints. Joseph finds himself in one of the greatest tests anyone has ever found himself in, in, in all the scriptures. And I'll tell you why it was so great. And I'm just assuming this. If, if I'm the second or third most powerful person in the, uh, it's not always true in our country, but if I'm the second or third most powerful person um, in the most powerful country in the world, I'm going to have a pretty hot wife. Like, I'm just being honest. Um, and if you don't believe me, look at all the, the NFL players and NBA players and everybody else that we revere who has status and power. They all have good-looking wives, all of them. And so I'm assuming Potiphar's wife was exceedingly attractive. I'm going to make that assumption. I'm going to lead with it because I don't think it would be a temptation if she wasn't the way that the Bible sets it out. And so notice, Joseph is being tempted, and the temptation is, is very complex, and the temptation is very powerful. Here, Joseph is in the house alone with Potiphar's wife. He has opportunity. He has all the opportunity in the world. Everything's being entrusted to him. Potiphar is no doubt out on, on army, um, army um, duty. I'll use the word duty. I couldn't find a better word. And he is out... And Joseph is home alone in the house, and he is overseeing everything. And how easy it would have been for Joseph to give in to this temptation just on the level of being there present with Potiphar's wife. And then to add to that, he has Potiphar's wife coming on to him. And, and Moses tells us that it's not just once. Notice he refuses in verse 8, and, and he says to her, I, I, look, I love my master, and I'm seeking to be faithful, and I can't sin against the Lord. And notice verse 10, she spoke to Joseph day after day in the same way. She, and that carries with it more than just a couple days. She was persistently trying to get Joseph to sleep with her, persistently trying to allure Joseph, persistently trying to draw him in. Now, here's the interesting tie between Genesis 39 and Genesis 38. In Genesis 38, you have Judah giving in to sexual immorality at a period where he should have resisted it and been faithful to the covenant Lord. He had, in one sense, prosperity. He was free. He, didn't have, he wasn't enslaved. Here's Joseph, enslaved. In a sense, he already suffering affliction. And and he flees sexual immorality. There's a contrast between the two men. And, and Joseph's integrity is coming to the forefront. Now, I don't think, I don't think we want to say this is merely in the Bible so that you learn how to flee sexual temptation. I do think that's why it's there. I think when the Apostle Peter picks up the language and he says, flee sexual immorality, 
He is lifting the language from Genesis 39. He is lifting it. There's a sense in which Joseph flees with haste. He cuts off his right hand. He plucks out his right eye. He, he, and, and we'll talk about the psychology of how he does this in a second. The Lord is with him. That's the key. Um, but, but Joseph is certainly doing that. And Joseph is also not only fleeing temptation and setting that example for us, Joseph has learned through the, both the suffering and the prosperity, and now in the midst of the furnace of temptation, he is, he is being a transformed man. He is learning how to be the man that God wants him. Now, here's, here's how we know that. Because you could say, okay, he fled this time, but what about next time? Maybe it's somebody else. We don't know that this is going to continue. We know that, that we can't attain sinless perfection. So how do we know that Joseph has become a different man? I think it's because of the garment. Now, this is one of those fascinating um, parallels in the book of Genesis. Remember, when we first meet Joseph, he has a robe, and he's bragging about his dreams. He's self-confident, and he's trusting, and he has to have that robe stripped from him by his brothers in order to humble him. He has that robe stripped away. And I believe Joseph learns not to be that self-confident, arrogant young man, and that here he willingly leaves his garment. It's interesting. Joseph, and you don't read this of anyone else, his life is symbolized by these garments, the coat of many colors and the robe that he leaves in Potiphar's wife's hand when he flees. It is a picture that he is not trusting in himself. And, and I think there's a measure there, there's a, a measure of, of spiritual lesson for us. Um, the Apostle Paul will say in 1 Corinthians 10, in that great discourse on temptation, after he warns about all the various forms of temptation the Old Testament Israelites fell into and, and suffered because of, he says, let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. I think Joseph knew he was susceptible to temptation. I think Joseph knew how easily he could give in to Potiphar's wife. I think Joseph recognized the power. And here's how I know, because the Holy Spirit gives us insight into what's going on in Joseph's mind when he says to Potiphar's wife, look, your husband has entrusted me with everything. He, he expects me to be trustworthy. He is reasoning his way out of temptation. And then he says... And this is the big one. How can I do this thing and sin against the Lord? Now, what enabled Joseph to endure that temptation? He recognized that the Lord was with him. He recognized that the Lord had given him a dream in chapter 37, that God was going to do something great in redemptive history with him. He recognized that he had to be in God's purposes and plans. He recognized that all the prosperity and the situation he found himself in was directly related to God's blessing there. And it's very interesting. Joseph endures the temptation out of love for man and love for God. The two great commandments. To love the Lord. How can I do this thing and sin against the Lord? And to love his neighbor. How can I do this thing and harm Potiphar and you and the entire house? But more than that, 
the purpose of God. Joseph knew that the Lord was with him. Joseph knew that God was fulfilling his purposes in him. And he realized, if I give in to this, I am putting myself outside of the purposes of God. I am grieving the God who's with me. I am shaking my fist at the God who is with me. And so we see that Joseph would rather suffer the consequences of fleeing that temptation than sin against the Lord who had put him in the very midst of that temptation in a place of prosperity in Potiphar's house. Now, thirdly, we want to consider um, the Lord being with Joseph in affliction. Potiphar comes home. He, uh, um, Potiphar's wife, before he comes home, falsely accuses Joseph. She raises those false accusations against him. Potiphar comes home. He's angry. He, he commands that Joseph be thrown into prison, which is very interesting. The penalty probably should have been greater for what Potiphar thought Joseph did. And he throws him into prison, probably, and the language seems to intimate that he puts him with the worst of the worst. Notice verse 20. Uh, Potiphar's anger is kindled. Joseph's master took him, put him in the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. This is maximum security prison. This is, this is solitary confinement prison. This is, this is the worst of the worst of the criminals in Egypt. And Joseph is being put there with them. He is being maligned, and he is, he is now losing more of his freedom. And notice, notice that while he's there, and this is so important, notice verse 21. We're told he's thrown in prison, but the Lord was with Joseph. Now, there's one thing that I try to do in pastoral ministry, and I know it always comes back to bite me when I find myself in a place where I need counsel, in a difficult place, but I always try to help people understand when you're in a difficult situation as a believer and you've been dealt with unjustly and, and, and your life is seemingly falling apart and it doesn't look like Joseph's life in the first half of this chapter where everything's just getting better and better and better and you're the object of mistreatment by others that you need to remember that the Lord is with you in the affliction, in the furnace, in the trial, that he's placed you there and that he's there with you. And that comes directly out of this chapter. That is what the Lord wants you to know. And every time we start complaining, and every time we start grumbling, and every time we start um, reacting and mistreating others because we feel like we've been misdealt with and, and dealt with unjustly, at those moments... We are first forgetting that the Lord has us where he wants us. And secondly, we're forgetting that he said, I will be with you in the furnace. I will be with you. I will not let the flame overthrow you. I will not let the waters overwhelm you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. That's the point of this chapter. This chapter could be called, God will never leave or forsake his people, no matter where they are. Prosperity, temptation, affliction, the Lord is with him. He never departs, and Joseph knows it. Joseph knows that the Lord is with him. Now, by way of contrast, his dad never knew it. Jacob never got this lesson. What a sad life. I often feel more like Jacob than Joseph. What a sad life. At the end of his life, Jacob says, few and evil have been the days of my life. Basically, my life has just been terrible, awful. Here's Joseph in prison, falsely accused with the worst criminals, numbered with the transgressors, 
and he knows that the Lord's with him. And he begins to prosper in that place of affliction again. Isn't that interesting? Every time he knows the Lord is with him, he begins to prosper. And he begins to prosper there the way he had prospered in Potiphar's house. And God begins to bless him again and to show him even and especially through those periods of humiliation, there would be on the tail end exaltations. Now, notice the final verses, verse 23. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Now, here's what this means for you. And then we're going to talk about what this chapter is really doing in the Bible. This means for you that if you are trusting the Lord, that you are not holding on to your own righteousness, that you are not trying to get yourself ahead and lay hold of power illegitimately, or making an idol of power, or giving in to sexual immorality to please yourself for self-interest and self-pleasure, if you're not clinging to all those idols and you're you're confessing your sins of wanting those things at different times and of falling at different times and you're going back to the Lord and you're walking, seeking to walk closely with the Lord and calling on the Lord and committing yourself to him and desiring to do what's pleasing to him and others start to oppose you because they will, even in the church, they will because they're not doing those things and you begin to suffer affliction, you can know that the Lord is with you and that he's promised I'll never leave you nor forsake you and that he's going to bring good out of that. And when you go through hardships and difficulties that are painful, and, you know, if, if your spouse leaves you, if, you're, if a loved one passes away, whatever it is, there are 50,000 hardships that people endure that belong to Jesus. When those things happen, you can know that the Lord is with you, and that he's working out his purposes in your life, and that he's with you there, and that he's with you intent on blessing you and on making his name great. Now, the bigger question, and one we've already sort of touched on in weeks past, is what does all of this have to do with redemptive history? And, and it's just so obvious. Joseph is such a clear type of Jesus Christ. There may not be a clearer type of Jesus in the whole of the Old Testament. We've already looked at how his brothers, his father sent him down to his brothers. He was the beloved son of his father. And his father sent him to his brothers. And his brothers despised him and rejected him, essentially killed him. Exactly like Jesus, the greater Joseph. And now here we see that he is sold from the Jews to the Gentiles. He is sold off as a servant. He came to his brothers in peace. He he became a servant and a slave. And Joseph becomes a slave. And Jesus becomes the servant of the Lord, the Ebed Yahweh. He becomes the willing slave of God. He is sold off from the Jews to the Gentiles. And and then he is blessed in what he does. He goes around Israel and everything he does is is blessed. And people are healed. and, And the kingdom of God is coming with power. And multitudes are coming to hear Jesus. And God is with him. And Luke gives us this intimation. Luke tells us in chapter 2 that, that the grace of God was with Jesus and he grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and men. And that the Lord was with him and the spirit of God was on him and he was blessed and he, he was prospering. And, and, then, and then he's tempted. And he's tempted with 
the only temptation in the Bible that's more difficult than Joseph's. And he endures that temptation like Joseph does. And he endures that temptation for us who have not endured temptation and who have fallen and given in to temptation. He is the sinless one. He is the, there is a sense where while Joseph is a great sinner, you see almost a sinlessness in this chapter. And that's meant to draw your attention to the one who was to come. And, and then he's falsely accused. He endures the temptation. He's falsely accused. He's thrown into prison. He's numbered with the transgressors. Now, you can say, oh, that's fanciful. Or you can say, God intended that. That this is part of the redemptive story of Jesus Christ. And that those things we see in Joseph are meant to cast our eyes on the greater Joseph. And we're meant to say, just as God was using this Joseph to lead forward the history of his church, because that's what's going on. At the end of the day, what's happening to Joseph is going to have a direct impact on the entire church. They're going to be brought into Egypt, then they're going to be delivered through the Exodus, and and it's all because Joseph is with the Lord and the Lord is with Joseph. And the greater Joseph, everything that happens to Jesus affects his people. He endured temptations for you and for me. He didn't succumb to the overwhelming temptations of the evil one because he becomes the righteous one for us. Because at the end of the day, when I look at myself and all my failings and all my sin and all my rebellion and all the wickedness in my heart, and you've got it in your heart, at the end of the day, you need a holy, harmless, undefiled savior who is separate from sinners, who is the great redeemer, who would stand in your place, who would be falsely accused, would endure all the hardship, all the affliction. And here's what's interesting. There's one point of parallel that doesn't match up. Even and at every step of Joseph's life, even in the affliction, the Lord is with him. But when Jesus hangs on the cross, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the only answer we can give is because I should have been forsaken. And he shouldn't be with me. And I don't deserve his presence. And I don't deserve his blessings. And I don't deserve the promise that he will never leave me nor forsake me. And I don't deserve to be able to go through affliction and know he's with me. And the second I forget that, is the second I keep on striving, I keep on grasping after things in this world, I keep on grasping after my own power, interest, sexual pleasure, whatever it is. You have two options. You realize that you don't deserve it, and there's a greater Joseph who has done everything. And isn't it interesting? He was numbered with the transgressors. Just like Jesus, brought out with Barabbas and the thieves and the worst of the worst in Israel. He was numbered. There's this great, and I'll leave you with this thought, about Jesus being numbered with the transgressors, there is this really marvelous thought that Jeff Thomas has where he's talking about Jesus going to his baptism and, you know, who gets baptized? Sinners get baptized. Who needs to be cleansed? Dirty people need to be cleansed. Baptism is not a nice thing we do to holy, innocent people. It is saying, I am filthy and I need to be cleansed by the blood of Jesus. And Jesus submits to baptism, which doesn't make any sense because he has no sin, until we understand that he's standing there for us. And Jeff Thomas has this great thought where he envisions Jesus in a line, walking up 
to John, his cousin, to be baptized. And, and Jeff Thomas says, there is an adulteress, and there is an adulterer, and there is a thief, and there is a liar, and a murderer, and a swindler, and a scoundrel, and, and, and there, is, there is a pedophile, and there's Jesus, and there's, there is uh, the most hateful, bigoted gossip and slander, but, but there's Jesus, and he's there numbered with the transgressors, so that he might take all the filthy water that gets poured over them on himself as he takes the wrath of God. He goes through everything that Joseph went through so that he might redeem you and me and that he might lead his church to glory. I want to close this morning by asking you a couple questions. First, if you are a believer, if you are trusting in Jesus, do you, do you preach these things to yourself, that the Lord is with you? He is with you to bless you. He is with you to make you prosper. He is with you to help you endure temptations. Remember that part of that verse in 1 Corinthians 10, it says, uh, no temptation has overtaken us except as is common to man, but God is faithful who with the temptation will give us a way of escape. He's with us in the temptation. He's with us in the affliction. That is, by the way, the key to a fruitful Christian life. And then secondly, I'd ask you, if you are actively seeking to endure temptation, that's one of those questions that never goes away. We have to be resolute, like Joseph, in actively seeking to endure and overcome and withstand temptation. And we do that because we have a great high priest. We go to him when we're tempted. He sympathizes with us. He ever lives to make intercession. And then finally, I'd say if you're not a Christian, and chances are good somebody in here has never repented, never trusted in Jesus, let this be what draws you to him, that you would see, I don't deserve his presence. I don't deserve blessing. I don't deserve goodness. I don't deserve any of that. I deserve wrath and judgment. I deserve affliction every second of my life. But God has taken it on himself in Jesus Christ. And if you're trusting him, you have all the blessing and all the presence of God forever. Forever. Let him who has ears to hear, let him hear this morning what the Spirit says to the church. Let's pray. Father, how desperately we need to learn these lessons and how desperately, Lord Jesus, we need you to remind us that you were forsaken so that we may never be forsaken and that you, the great covenant Lord, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit would make us know that you are with us. And so, our God, we pray for those of us who are trusting your Son that you would make us to know that you are with us. And that you would be with us in prosperity and temptation and affliction. We pray for those that may not know you, that today would be a day that they come to see their need for you, Lord Jesus, and see that you are the one who became a servant, that you were God and were tempted and tried and yet without sin and who was falsely accused and arrested and, and suffered and died for our redemption and our good. And so our God, accomplish these purposes in us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.